Hello, welcome to this week's economy. I'm Dr. Vance Ginn, and I want to jump right into the information that we have today. Um, so be cognizant of your time. Today is May 5th, um, 2023. Thank you for joining me. Please share this with your friends and family as I'm trying to increase subscribers, get the word out there about how to let people prosper, but also provide key important insights about the economy and public policy that you can trust uh, compared to what you see on mainstream media and everything else. We really dig in deep and give you the important information that you need to know um, as we get to have these great discussions. So, um, and if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to meeting you soon. Without further ado, though, let's get right into the information I have for you today. If you missed the Let People Prosper show, which comes out every Tuesday, subscribe to that at my Substack, vanskin.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube, any other major platforms that you want. You can also find it on my website, vanskin.com. A lot of key, a lot of places you can find it. But if you want it in your inbox every day, go or, or when they come out every week, vanskin.substack.com is the place to get it. So check that out. But the latest one was um, with James Homan from the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, where we talked about corporate welfare, right to work, unions, um, a sustainable Michigan budget, a lot of good information. So please check that one out. That was this past Tuesday. The upcoming one, this coming Tuesday, will be with Dr. Larry White, where we talk about uh, free banking, a gold standard, a fiat currency system, and his new book, Better Money. So be sure to check that one out on Tuesday. Um, so What's going on out there in the economy? Well, the first thing is for the national sort of information, number one that we're gonna talk about today is on the jobs report. Today is jobs report Friday, the first Friday of every month. So we'll be talking about this. That's why I'm releasing a little bit later on Fridays because we can go over the jobs report. Um, and what I call it is a mixed report. There's a lot of good top line headline numbers that look good on the surface. Um, when you see 253,000 net jobs that were added. So that includes the government sector and the private sector. Um, it was a little bit less than that whenever you include, you just look at private sector, which is where the productive activity happens, right? All the government jobs are sucking out the, I mean, we need some government jobs, of course, to run certain things, limited government and everything else. But remember that they're taking money out of the private sector to pay for those jobs for the retirement packages and everything else. So you've got to make sure that we understand that there are trade-offs associated with that. Um, so the 253,000 jobs sounds good on the surface. That's payroll jobs. But when you look further into it, remember, you always got to dig deeper into these numbers than just what's given on the surface and what you see out there in the media um, that they like to, to talk about is that over the months of February and March, there was a combined downward revision, meaning that they thought it was higher. Now the actual numbers, as they get more information and data, it was actually lower by 149,000. This was a, ma a massive, a, a large decrease in the number of jobs that were added over those two months. So that means that if you subtract that number off, so 253,000 minus 149,000, you really only had a net increase of 104,000 jobs. That's pretty weak. That's not a strong um, labor market. The unemployment rate ticked down a little bit, thinking right around 3.4% now. So we've got a pretty low um, unemployment rate, one of the lowest in 50 years. Um, but remember, a lot of people have dropped out of the labor force. Labor force participation rate isn't back up to where it was before the pandemic. Neither is the employment to population ratio. The 25 to 54 year old um, group, which is the prime age working group, those have come back, um, which is a good sign. But you know, a lot of folks are still having trouble right now. And that's indicated by the next indicator of average weekly earnings. Average weekly earnings um, growth rate of the last year was only 3.8%, 3.8%. And inflation is running at hot at about 5%. Yes, it's come down from the 9% rate of last year, but it's still at 5%. So 5% minus 3.8, you have 1.2% 
at least if, if, unless the number comes down a little bit more, but at least a full percentage point of growth of the wages of average uh, weekly earnings below population or below inflation, right? Meaning that real average weekly earnings are continuing to fall year over year. And this is the 25th month in a row that that's happened. Essentially, since Biden has been president, uh, we've had declining average weekly earnings, which is a key indicator for how Americans are doing. This is also why Americans are feeling so pessimistic. I mean, more than six out of 10 Americans are feeling pessimistic about the economy and what's going on. And that's a big reason why is they just can't keep up with all the inflation and everything else that's going on. Also this week, another key indicator or key factor that's been happening out there is the Federal Reserve, right? Our central bank here in the United States, um, they raised their federal funds target rate. So their federal funds rate is the overnight lending rate between banks that the Fed um, contributes to their open market operations to make sure that they can hit a certain target interest rate, which that interest rate, the federal funds rate, then influences um, three-month treasury bills, two-year treasury notes, 10-year treasury notes, 30-year mortgage rates. I mean, it influences all these things. And so it has a huge influence on, of course, the overall economy. And I have the opinion that they've left the interest rate too low for too long um, during the pandemic, even before the pandemic. Um, and, and, and so they needed to raise this interest rate higher, faster to really get a hold of inflation inflation is coming down some what we call disinflation but it's still too high it's well above their average of two percent inflation year over year at about five percent right now so they've got a long way to go so they raised their target interest rate for the 10th time in a row from zero percent last year 0.25 percent to now it's at five to 5.25 percent just a huge increase it's the highest since you know volcker back in the late 1970s the fastest increase over time and this is the um, highest that the federal funds rate has now been at 5.25%, that higher part of that range, um, since August of 2007. You know what happened after 2007, the Great Recession, all the other things that are going on. And we've seen a lot of that with the banking failures that have happened here recently, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I think that it was a good idea for the Federal Reserve to keep interest raising interest rates. I know some disagree with me. That's okay. Um, I think they probably need to go up a little bit higher. If you look at the Taylor rule, which includes some GDP output um, uh, differences compared to historical averages and in Inflation differences really with a, more of a focus on inflation, which is the one thing that the Federal Reserve has the most influence and control over as they print too much uh, compared to too much um, goods and services in the economy. Um, you need to have those interest rates go up even higher, where the Taylor rule says closer to 6% compared to the 5.25% we have now. So I think we have more room to go there. And the big thing that I'll keep hammering is that they need to talk about their balance sheet. Their balance sheet is where they manipulate specific markets, whether it be treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities, and other factors. Their balance sheet is still about $8.6, $8.7 trillion compared to the high of $9 trillion last year. So there's still a lot of liquidity in the markets, a lot of credit that's happening that they really need to soak out and, and, and pull out of the economy. And unfortunately, that's going to lead to a more severe recession. But there was, this recession was inevitable given the amount of, of increase they did of inflationary pressures, government spending so much, running up massive deficits. This is what you get. This is part of the government failure process if you don't let the free market capitalism system work. And so this is the result you're going to have. So it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't like to be a bearer of bad news, but that's essentially what we have going on um, there in the economy. I think they might raise interest rates again um, coming up next time, the next time they meet, which is about every six weeks. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I would definitely will do that for you. As far as so that was number one on the national front, number two on the state front, let's talk about Texas. Um, Texas, <clears throat> when you look at their jobs report from um, last week here recently, um, they, they talked about how the labor participation rate is now 63.9%. 
which is above where it was in February of 2020. The employment population ratio, 61.3%. And these are all for March. They always run a month behind the state level, um, <clears throat> which is a little bit below where it was in February of 2020. The employment rate, 4%. Um, the private sector employment up 800,000 800, since February. So they're well above, where, where, Texas is well above where it was before. Um, Texas is one of the key states that have added more jobs um, compared to other um, compared to where they were before the pandemic and the shutdowns. Utah has added the most in percent terms, then Idaho, Arizona, Florida, Montana, and then Texas. So Texas has the sixth most that's been added. Um, if you look at some of the other states, I mean, they're they're well behind, you know, when you think about how many jobs they could have been having. And this is also a key thing that Biden talks about. So many jobs, 12 million jobs have been added. But it's like, OK, where are those jobs added? About 50, one out of every two of those jobs have been added into either Texas or Florida for more conservative pro-growth fiscal policies that are happening there. Um, and when you look at the net, there's really been about 3.2 million jobs that have been added on net across the United States since February of 2020. He talks about 12 million jobs have been added. But that's because we were so far down. We had a, a ways to go back up. And so Texas has been one of the leading places of doing that. Um, also in Texas, you know, you have this legislative session that's happening here right now. Um, the budget is still too big. Hopefully they could bring that down during conference. There's not enough in property tax relief. Hopefully they could bring, bring put more towards that to put a patch elimination for school district MO property taxes. Um, but then also there was a bad bill that was passed in the House um, just yesterday, actually, House Bill 5 which is a corporate welfare economic incentive package that basically provides school districts with the opportunity to give out sweetheart deals on property tax abatements over a decade, give them a discount. And, and what that does, it just shifts the burden on everyone else. Because who gets this? Mainly big businesses. So small businesses and individuals are the ones that bear the brunt of this higher spending that will then be funded through taxes that are just delayed, really just shifted the burden to everyone else. Um, this should not be a part of free market capitalism. It's, it's crony corporatism. It's not part of capitalism. And this should not have passed. Um, there were some people who actually turned it down, right? There were um, there were there were a few that 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 voted it down. So 86 Republicans in the House uh, voted for it. Only 20 were willing to stand up against the renewable energy lobby and the House leadership, right? That's what's been going on here. And so it's a bad thing. Um, but this is kind of what happens. They'll say they need to compete, but that's not the way you compete. You compete by spending less, taxing less, regulating less. That's the path to prosperity, right? Also in Louisiana, I follow Louisiana a lot from my work for the Pelican Institute. Um, they also show that their, their labor force participation rate um, went up to 59.6%. Employment population ratio went up to 57.6%. Um, unemployment rate went down to 3.3%. And their private sector employment, 1.6 million, which is still below where they were in February of 2020. The thing with a lot of the numbers and data from Louisiana, that puts them in, a, in, a, in an interesting situation is they have an outflow, a net out migration of people. And that contributes to some, some, some changes in their overall numbers that make them look better than otherwise if those people had stayed. It's another reason why they need their comeback story that we've been working on a lot on the comeback agenda of, of education choice and things of that nature to really bring the economy back. And they really need tax reform. Tax cuts are important for individuals so that they want to stay and for employers to start new businesses and everything. So they really need some reforms there. The other things that I want to talk about are some op-eds that I had. So this is number three, kind of the personal hot topics that are happening right now. I had a good piece out in the Daily Caller with Dr. Um, Chuck Beecham, where three steps Americans can take to save your dollar's value and status. We go into what's happening with the dollar and the de-dollarization by many countries across the world, what that would mean to the overall economy. Um, I hope you'll check it out on the Daily Caller because um, of good information there. I also had a piece out on EconLib called Jamie Dimon is Correct. More bank failures coming. Like I was talking about earlier with interest rates soaring, a lot of their balance sheets are now depleting and devalued. And so that's going to hurt them a lot. Also, a lot of depositors are fleeing regional and small banks and moving to big banks because of the bailouts and the 
backstopping of depositors that the Fed and Treasury and FDIC have been doing, saying, look, it's going to be above 250000 This brings about increased risk. And, and so this is a moral hazard is the issue here. And I think this is another problem that we're going to see in the banking sector, along with higher interest rates, more of these banks are going to continue to fail. So we've got some more problems that are happening there. And last but certainly not least, I wanted to talk a little bit about the social media bill, which is House Bill 18 in Texas. You know, it's it, 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 it passed out of the House already, but basically it's a, it's a, essentially a ban on social media for, for minors because the adult has to go on, um, register online. Everyone will have to register online across the state, which you don't have to do today. Um, and it takes the power that it takes the power out of the parents' hands, puts it in the hands of politicians and bureaucrats, and that's not the situation we should have. We should have freedom, liberty, free free markets. And I know these are these are minors, um, and there should be checks and balances there. I just believe the best checks and balances are the family, the parents. We need to stop taking responsibility out of their hands, just like with school choice. We're trying to put more power into their hands, but then we're taking it out of their hands for what they do with social media and their education. That doesn't make any sense. That's con that's a conflict there. Um, there's also a provision in this bill that passed that really excludes YouTube, um, Google part of that, the YouTube, and, and, and really bans everyone else. So why exclude one like YouTube, but keep everyone else in there in the ban? That doesn't make any sense either when you're picking winners and losers in, in the process. And the data doesn't really support that, you know, these the, the social media or the phones are having the biggest impact on suicide rates and uh, self-hurt, things of that nature. Um, there was a good report out in The Economist where they talked about this and showed some of the data that's out there and looking across different countries. And they don't really see much of uh, that this is a lot of evidence in this route. Um, I think there's some correlation that's out there, but correlation, remember, doesn't equal causation. So we've got to be careful about how we're evaluating these numbers and then contributing that to a certain policy prescription because I think that policy prescription is going to have a lot of um, unintended consequences. And what are they going to be the alternatives that teens are going to turn to if they're not using social media, right? And look, we're going to live in a digital world that's going to be even more digital in the future. We may be holding them back. And more importantly, though, I think it breaks the bond between parents and kids and how they're talking to one another, being open to one another, and putting more responsibility on government where we don't want it to be that never works out very well. So that's a lot of stuff today. Thank you for joining me on this week's economy episode. I hope you'll share it with all your friends and family and subscribe. Um, have a great weekend and have a prosperous day.